0: with Robert Teamstraw, No Slasher Here, uh, played at the Underf- Horror Underground Film Festival, nine-minute uh, <clears throat> horror film with the, with a slasher, even though there's no, it says no slasher here in the, in the title. Love your film, got all kinds of twists and turns on the surface. It looks like, a, it's a, like one of those kind of conventional horror films, but you kind of throw a lot of like red herrings and twists and turns, and you really have the audience on their toes in nine minutes. So congratulations on the success of the film.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: It's doing well, isn't it, on the festival circuit?
1: It's doing all right. Yeah, there's, I mean, always when you submit to film festivals, there's like one or two like, uh, pie, like, Pipe Dream, Pie in the Sky sort of festivals you don't get into, but like, I've been very pleased with with the run we've had. I've, um, yeah, did a lot of traveling last year, and probably going to be doing more this year. So this is your first horror film? No, it's not, um... Although I kind of I kind of backed up into the genre um, a while back um, when I first moved to LA after film school, I liked horror but I didn't love it and the way that I do now. And um, discovering how accepting and wonderful the indie horror community is, they're like so receptive to weird, big swings and ideas, and also other outsiders, people who are you know who are who don't fit in like mainstream sort of spaces it's just a one wonderful accepting community. And that was like something that I found really welcoming when I first moved out to LA and tried to like start making indie films. So I I guess my first horror film was technically this film called killer of the week back in, um, in 2019, which was a um, sort of a like comedy satire of like true crime podcasts, but like the horror itself, we took seriously. It was a very interesting tone. I don't think it really like fully landed for being like, either fully horror or fully satirical it was much more like yeah it, it was an it was an interesting one but after that like this is when i was like just went full bore into making uh exclusively not exclusively horror films but a lot of stuff that skirts that edge my film before this was a um twilight zone inspired like dystopian film written by my friend jacob which very much like had that sort of like had the edge of horror to it but wasn't like Typically a horror film because it was more more dystopian, more like uh, classic sci-fi in that in in like its aesthetics. So yeah, it's I I love being genre fluid. Frankly, it's just it's really fun to blend things. Uh, no slasher here is probably my most traditional genre-wise because it does just that classic Kevin Williamson horror mystery kind of thing or slasher mystery, I guess. Even though a little with a
0: tinge of comedy
1: yeah exactly and the the whole like I love writing uh writing banter and writing like characters who are trying to figure out essentially parse their way through a plot that's the only way you can get my plot brain to work so so it was very fun to to write a movie that is essentially just a nine minute uh puzzle of what's actually happening and that like then drops it's what's actually happening at the end and hopefully that works for people so I gotta
0: ask you about your, your color template um it's so interesting because yeah. obviously I see, I see a lot of horror films and, and, and basically like the way it's shot, it's shot like handheld. It's kind of like a very, like you say, Kevin Williams screen kind of uh shot, but then you have like the, like a, this pink color template near the phone. Then even when he's getting the, in the microwave, it's like a green hue coming out. And then you go into different, like she's wearing, she's wearing like, she's got a very blonde, but then she's wearing a blue, uh, like all these kind of primary kind of like colorful colors part of the the repeated is <laughs> like it was I'm sure that was very conscious on your part to do that
1: oh absolutely I I really adore um I mean one of my favorite like weird little subgenres and I'm not alone in this I love um I love giallo I love like 1970s Italian horror and those films I'm really inspired by their use of primary colors by their use of like stuff that pops now this doesn't go full Suspiria obviously but yeah. I've noticed that like in my travels around the film festival circuit, there's like I'm sure you've noticed this as well. There's a very set like horror movie look. Yeah, that's where, sort of like, what I'm referring it, to. It'll be like the the, the you know high high key, low contrast, very like moody and and I love those. But I'm also like I love challenging myself and my creative team. So my cinematographer Dennis and um my production production designer Rebecca um the the three of us we were we talked a lot about like ways of making. This space feel cinematic and feel playful in the same way that the that the film is playful, and like the stuff with the lighting from the microwave, we had a lot of fun with that because we are um we were a film that shot very fast and very loose, and like I told Dennis uh, first day I was I told him um get your lights out of my way I'm gonna want the actors to move a lot so <laughs> he he found a lot of very clever ways of like keeping the lighting stylized without like having to do like huge fixtures and huge gotcha. rigs that would like flood the set and then require like hours and hours to take down and, and reconfigure for every new moving master. So like, yeah, in terms of color, it was just a lot of fun to like get this punchier almost comic book kind of feel without like going full, full bore. And, and I should also shout out my colorist, Ryan Williams. I've made, I think four, uh, three movies with him now and he's just, he's great. He's, um, very receptive to the ideas I throw at him, and has done all sorts of different um, different sort of modes. My last film we did like an, an old school black and white cut just for fun, so like we have fun with color here.
0: Yeah, and, and, and well, I guess your cinematographer is kind of using manipulating the natural, like the the, the lamps in, in the room. Like he's kind of taking advantage of those lamps mm-hmm. in the say like in the living room area, and kind of manipulating the the lighting so then he doesn't. Yeah, so it's it's really cool. I I also directorially, you're like you were inside this house, we're inside this couple and we're like following them and then you go outside and it's almost like you're manipulating like it's like you're twist directing, meaning that you're giving the voyeuristic like someone spying on them kind of shots,
1: I guess, too, right? Absolutely. And like that is, you know, when I first uh, scouted this location and I scouted this location, Linnell, our lead actor, lived there when we filmed, she doesn't live there anymore. But um, when we scouted this location, I was, that was the first thing that struck me. It was just like how many big windows we've got in big open spaces. And I thought that whatever whatever we use this for, I'd scouted it for a different film. And I was just thinking, whatever we use this for, I'm gonna wanna move. And I always wanna look through the windows. That might be because I grew up in a house that had like very large windows that looked out into a forest. So it was very like inspiring to my young horror brain of like what could be coming out of there sources of anxiety as an anxious kid but like now uh, as a filmmaker now just taking advantage of that is a great way to just like to feel the space to feel the effect of the voyeurism but then also just have fun with the visual language of the movie and not just be trapped in shot reverse shot and like in the sort of like comfortable spaces I guess
0: so you saw you you've seen the movie with an audience right
1: yes yes I have and it's always fun
0: so the five minute five and a half minutes in she's on the phone and then there's that reveal in the background it's, it's and you kind of like you have to pay attention it's like two two three seconds how was the uh how did the audience respond to that to that moment
1: um in, in theaters it's it's always a great response i i love hearing the just like oh okay the yeah. those like moments because like the ideal i mean for me is you want is wanting to be able to feel that violation because until that point there have been stuff there's been like some like suspicious stuff outside the windows but Sometimes I wonder, you know, like when you're up late at night, you go to like the kitchen to get a glass of water, like just how much of a how jarring it is to see someone who you don't expect to see there. That's why haunting stories are always so visceral. But like for this particular story, I, I my ideal is to like get people to feel that. Um, that like, whoa, and actually like there's a slight delay on this on the music there that's yeah. very intentional because I want people to have that, oh, before the music realizes that <laughs> that there is a um there is uh someone in the room, which is you know, it's the classic the classic horror feeling of the he's behind you, you know. The- yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, but I, I they,
0: like- they, but from a tone standpoint, we're we're basically we're with her all the way without mm-hmm. giving up the yeah. twist or anything like that. But and all of a sudden, that's the first time where the audience is a little bit ahead of her, I guess, too, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um. I I hope that like. I mean, I think a lot about when I'm writing and when I'm uh, when we're shot listing and storyboarding, I think a lot about perspective and point of view. Like, you know, why are we choosing shots we're choosing? How is that guided by like the point of view in a literary sense, not even in a cinematic sense. And in that sense, I, I hope that the um, intention is also that like feeling of like a prick at the back of your ear. Like there's somebody watching me, isn't there? So like not entirely leaving her point of view, but also kind of because obviously the audience is seeing what she's not. And that's um that's always fun to play with and there's there's moments where we break that schema very specifically the like through her eyes um perspective of it and I, I hope that those like read as intentional rather than just like pick them whatever shot is fun yeah. which we did but we 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 could have gone crazier and we decided to to restrain ourselves in a few key instances
0: yeah it's a nice direction it's really really solid so you you, you mentioned your your color rest you work with three times before. So, what about your? You mentioned your cinematographer and your production designer. If you work with them, and like, are they a team, or you worked with them previously?
1: Um, I think yeah. Most of the people I worked with on this movie, I've, I've worked with before, mm-hmm. with the exception of a few crew members. Um, Dennis, my my cinematographer, friend from film school. We've made I think three short films together. Um, he he's gonna listen to this and be like, no, there's actually been five. And I'll what's, I'll be, what's what
0: school? Film school? Did you guys go to?
1: Uh, we both went to emerson college
0: okay boston Um,
1: right yep yep out in boston um ryan my colorist also an emerson an emerson guy um production designer has been with me in various capacities over the last couple of uh films um we had a different pd and costumer for my last film uh but like my post team is i think what might be the most crucial just because like we've been when you're doing an indie film it's so easy for it to get hung up in post because like you don't have the budget for a post supervisor so you as the director have to both come up with i mean a the capital to make the to make the post production actually happen but yeah. be the um the like motivation of like setting the deadlines and making sure everyone's working with the time period that's conducive to them creatively as well as like hitting the festival deadlines so having these three people my sound designer cameron who's done uh three movies no four movies he's been with me since killer of the week um Flory maunders my composer, brilliant uh, composer who, who lives in in London or not London UK um, she's really gonna be mad hearing that but um uh, uh, she has been um, uh, with me for four movies now um, and, so ha- and so has and so is Ryan so like the three of them being able to be like this is how much time Flory needs for the music and I can do and I can start that process while I'm still like finessing the edit. And then with Ryan, I can have him start the color while she's still finessing, like drafts two or three of the score cues. And then Cameron, like the sound designer, then brings it all together. So knowing how they work and how I can get them to work together, even though we're all remote and they're mostly just talking through me, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so figuring that all out is, um, is part of the fun, but also part of the like me being able to start shooting a movie in April and confidently saying we're going to make X, Y and Z um, film festival deadline.
0: So you're like like you kind of alluded in the beginning of the podcast, like you're you came here and you got to kind of get into the got to this horror genre because it was there was like a there's like a family, almost like a family like film team in a sense where like you got kind of like you, you kind of like we're attracted to that situation, I guess. Right. It seems like you got a real kind of real solid team going on in L.A.
1: Uh, absolutely. I I will say again, not all of them are in, in LA because Flori's in in England. Yeah. um But well, that's the,
0: um, the today, right? So,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, it's. I feel like all filmmaking is, in a sense, about community because you're not just, unless you're like on the far edges of the like art house experimental scene. Usually, you're not just making the film yourself.
0: Or an um, animator. And, like,
1: yeah. Yeah. Or or an animator. Yeah. The the solo. The solo animated jobs god i have so much respect for those people though like <laughs> the amount of dedication just anyways well, i, I, I talked to these either. guys
0: i talked to these filmmakers they make these three minute films and they spend three years four years making it these yeah, yeah. it's
1: and they're they're amazing genuinely... films.
0: They're absolutely amazing films and then like they spend so much time on it like years making it
1: yeah it's almost it's like almost like the artistic, uh, the art. Uh, not to say that this isn't artistic, but it's almost like watching someone assemble a, a car from scratch in their garage. You know, you're like, you you knew exactly where everything made for this to work. Anyways, um, but yeah, it's it's all about community and like, I think part of it is also like the disparate communities that make up my life sort of affect my my filmmaking life. Yeah, because as like, as a queer person who lives in Los Angeles and also as a filmmaker who lives in Los Angeles, there are like so many Venn diagrams of like, these are my like. These are are my like queer group of friends. This is my queer film group of friends. These are my like horror group of friends. These are like my queer horror group of friends. So there's like there's a series of like of, of Venn diagrams that overlap in interesting ways and getting person A from this to bring their talents to a project from B is is so rewarding because I feel like one of the joys of directing is like is finding someone who you're like you have something that I would love you to be able to contribute to to the art that I'm gonna help make and so like just being able to like see that collage of people and and talents and like bring those together is just is always such a joy so and that's like I mean I'm coming back to Flory as my composer she's not she doesn't do like film composing as her primary thing she's primarily like a classical composer writes like symphonies and operas and things and when I first reached out to her I was so inspired by this because she, I'm talking. I'm working with someone whose language is different, whose artistic language is different. But that brings an entirely new perspective when she's going to write a score for a movie that I'm <laughs> that I directed because I'm not talking to someone who I can be like Carpenter this and Ennio Morricone that. It's going to be an entirely different suite of references that also broadens my perspective on the world of composing. Ideally, um, so it's it's like it's it's just electric. It's so fun.
0: So, and then according to your blog interview the movie seeds of the movie started with your lead actor. She called you on or texted you on New Year's day. I'm assuming. last I, year.
1: I texted her. I texted, I texted, texted her, her. We'd made a movie together and, and she'd been like, and we'd both, we bonded over like both really being into horror movies. And so I, I, I'd been just laid off at the end of that year. And I was like feeling very down and like, I don't know if I can make movies. So I don't have a steady flow of income. So I just texted her saying like, Hey, do you want to make something spooky together? Cause I knew that she was also like, jonesing to like do something indie and and she was very game and so she sort of became my my producing partner on this one usually i have a dedicated producer but this one was a little a little more scrappy we had a a small team um including it was mostly um lanelle and myself um lanelle myself and cody who like bore the brunt of the producing work and we um we sort of like shared a lot of the tasks and like broke down a lot of the a lot of the the beats like i handled the like insurance and the equipment rentals and lanelle and cody handled handled like how we're gonna feed everyone where we're going to like stage things because this is the house that they live in that we're filming in so it became like an interesting division of labor and then lanelle also showed up and gave a brilliant performance which is you know the like her the the contribution of hers that will be seen the most in the film and hopefully appreciated the most but like also just the fact that like she was there pretty much throughout prep as like. A person for me to go to with a problem and be like, "Oh God, I'm worried about this," and she'll be like, "No, it's okay. I'm also passionate about this project, so let's figure out a solution."
0: And she, she's got—it's a fantastic role that you went, wrote for her too, right? It's like so many arcs, I mean, so many arcs through the motions like you don't see you don't the see the that's, that's, at all. Like you don't I see love it that, that, at all.
1: Yeah. That's the thing I love about writing is like, or specifically screenwriting is like being able to be like, I want to write a role that someone will want to play. I think that's yeah. the greatest contribution you could the greatest compliment you can get as a writer is an actor reading your screenplay and being like, this seems like such a fun role to play. And that's just the, that's um, one of the, th- one of the greatest um, compliments is being like having that challenge of like, I want to write a role for this person. And then them actually responding to it in a way that like you want. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
0: So I want to. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit in your director statement. You talked about uh, uh, basically the, the the phone, and basically the phone is a major, uh, obviously plot plot device in your film. And you said you there's a hope and the ability to connect with uh, people in their community through their phone. It could be a tool uh, for target harassment, but it can also be a lifeline as well. And so, so you're using the phone as kind of like your device in the film. I'm curious about the phone itself because you, what? Because it, this it's a phone that you use in the, the film that nobody kind of you, don't, nobody uses it anymore. You didn't use a cell phone.
1: Yeah, I, I, I kind of hate cell phones cinematically because they're like, I, I joke sometimes that it's impossible to hang up angrily anymore because, like, what are you going to do? Tap the screen especially yeah. hard. Like, you can't. There's none of that. Like, I think of of the departed. Scorsese departed. There's like these satisfying like every time like someone closes a flip phone like even that like has a certain amount of punch to it but even even more so i think like for our film i for one i wanted the like references to be very like 90s into 2000s horror which is yeah. like the part where we started get where we started getting a bit a bit meta a bit like into the weeds with the slasher thing and maybe a bit too far but like the but we needed that aesthetic bed of references especially with scream um yeah. but also i think for me, there's something absurd and fun about the landline as like a <laughs> device in a, in a movie of of um of it made in you know the the year of our lord 2023 um, <laughs> because like it is just um it's an antique but also something that I grew up very normal in my house a landline so there's all so there's like this slightly archaic but not fully not archaic enough to really distract at least to me. So I don't know. It, it, was an, it was a choice that from the first draft, it was a landline. And always the absurdity of the landline was kind of foregrounded with Craig being like, why do we even have that? But it's it sort of it felt necessary to be a landline, partly because of like whatever the what the twist builds into is is more plausible with a landline. And also there's things, you know, like a phone call feels stranger and more like <laughs> when it comes to a landline. I don't know exactly what it is. There's something kind of um, unnameable about it. I think what happens is, is that
0: is that when it's a landline, you you are like you kind of feel compelled to pick up the phone. But when it's a cell phone, you just like, okay, I'm not I'm just gonna let it go to who's who's calling me by the way? Like
1: yeah, it's like it's a scam today, likely bro. if it comes from if it's like it's probably a scam if it's calling coming through your phone, but yeah. like through your like cell phone. There's also something about like calling the location that's very interesting. Like they're calling the place you are at, not you like yeah. it's it's slightly disconnected from like the present day phone being on you so you can be contacted at any time
0: but there's a definite tribute to uh Drew Barrymore the original scream with her blonde hair absolutely and, yeah in the phone i were you also, even like, remember when that I'm, movie came out
1: i i was um i i think <laughs> what, was, what was that scream was 95 Ninety-five. Okay, so I was barely born. I was born in '94, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Scream was was I was introduced to it in um, in in college around the time I was really getting into the classic horror movie references. I, I, so that I was '96. I,
0: like, I apologize. I just checked it. Yeah,
1: '96. Okay, so I so I was two. Um, I did not see it in theaters. Um, but um, another reference for us, especially how we shot it, was um, when a stranger calls. Um, both films are are brilliantly directed, uh, especially that opening sequence. But like, we were just trying to make sure we're like remembering how to like fill a space, especially when there's only one or two characters in there to like give us our perspectives. And when a stranger calls is especially helpful because that film basically just opens with a 20 minute short film. <laughs> um, and Scream it's it's similar, but it's also like in Scream it's much more. About setting up what's going to happen in the rest of the movie, and I think when a stranger calls feels more like the rest of the movie is an afterthought in comparison to that dynamite opening scene.
0: So, yeah, I'm sure you know the story, but like she she was billed as a star of the film, right? So I remember watching. Yeah, I was yeah, 20, yeah, I was 20 when the movie came out, so basically it. I remember going to see it with my friend and he was a big horror guy. And you, you're, you're thinking Drew Barrymore is in the film, right? Yeah. So then she dies. And it's like, you think it's a Pulp Fiction thing where like, she's going to come back. And then, and then at the end of the movie, I'm like, where's Drew, Drew Barrymore never came back. She's only in there <laughs> for the first five minutes, but she, I she can only imagine what
1: that media. was like.
0: She manipulated in the media because this is obviously pre-internet and basically we're like, yeah. she was pitching the film as the star of the film. So it was great.
1: That's incredible. I feel like I can only think of one recent example that like even came close to that. And that was, you know, without saying which actor it is, uh, Barbarian um, was a film that had a similar like, a similar like an actor you think is going to be more prominent winds up being like, oh, that was just, that was their entire role. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I can only imagine how seeing *Scream* in 96 was without that expectation.
0: But yeah, but now every movie comes out on Friday by by Friday at noon, everybody's kind of like posting it on Twitter or whatever, and yeah, and all the twists and churns are out, right? So, but this is this is in a more primitive era where like they didn't have that stuff. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got, and as someone who, who's like made just a short film that's nine minutes with like a twist that's very easy to spoil, um, it's you know one of those things where like I'm getting kind of zen about spoilers and hoping that the experience of the movie holds up, even if you. Even if you know going in, even if someone has told you this is how it resolves, I'm hoping we've put enough like clues and Easter eggs to make it hold up on a rewatch or on a watch with that knowledge. Um, But that's always a, you know, a thing you never fully know because you'll never be fully objective about your own work. So
0: we sent the audience to you. What did you think about the audience feedback that we sent you? What did they say about your film?
1: I really liked it. I, I thought it was, it was fun seeing both like, it's always fun seeing people respond to that twist, but also seeing like, people respond to how the groundwork is laid for it because that's like, I love mysteries and I love like um one that mysteries that are properly set up, but it's also you second guess yourself to hell and back when you're writing them, when you're producing them. And so it's always fun to see like people respond to, Oh yeah, they actually like saw what we were doing and like clocked like how, Ethan, how like how Linnell Noel and Ethan's performances all like um contributed to um to like that feeling of like oh the film's going this way and then it's going to go this way I'm um, trying to say without spoil without spoiling I think I shouted out Linnell a lot because I, I do think her work is crucial to the film but I also got a shout out Ethan and and Noel Ethan I've known since talking about these film families I've known Ethan since I was in middle school we did Shakespeare camp together <laughs> um, and so the two of us have, have been like we've known each other for a long time and he's done two shorts for me now um, and just like when I got him for that for this film I was it immediately clicked when he came on camera like oh i'm very glad that he's the one in this part and then noel just like hearing her over the over the phone for the first time before we like actually decide to cut away to her was like okay yeah, yeah i'm very happy that that this is the person i've gone with for this role it's always casting is, is such a tricky thing and when you have friends who are as you are talented actors it makes it so much easier
0: <laughs> yeah fantastic i know it's a really great film i hope you're proud of it and i just want to finish with a. Uh, in your, in your bio it says that you have a twin brother correct
1: that is correct yeah he's he's an actor actually but he lives in new york so it's sometimes That's harder to cast in him in things
0: yeah so you so he's in the industry as well
1: uh, he's a, yeah mostly in theater um he's an actor's equity member he's done a bunch of plays um he was hamlet in like an off-off-broadway production of hamlet he's um but yeah, he's also a writer, very talented writer. He's working on a play right now that I'm not sure he'd want me to 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 say what it is. <laughs> but um, okay. but yeah, he's he's very much in the theater side of things, and it's you know the New York allied LA dichotomy. He's in theater, I'm in film. We're spanning the U.S. You guys grew up Controls in San Francisco, or- school,
0: right?
1: Oakland. Um, Oakland, so across okay, the Bay. Sorry, Coast
0: the Bay Area, Area, I should say. I apologize. Yeah,
1: it's so this I mean, common mistake. Oakland isn't as well known.
0: That's that's so cool. So basically, so do you think you guys are gonna work on a project ever or, uh, in the future? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, it's it's without a doubt. He even if like he's not in a film or like contributed to the writing of a film that I've done, he usually is one of the first people to see like a cut of it. Um, in the end of the credits of this movie, I list this. a a group of people I call creative consultants, basically people I test screened the movie for and, and was just like, is the red herring working? Is the like this, that, and the other thing working? Um, but Matt's in that list. Um, he's also, um, in my film before this one, he was production support and, um, also had a small role at the very beginning. Um, I promise I'll eventually give him a bigger role. I keep telling him this, <laughs> but lately, um, lately he's been just crucial support, basically. In the way that everyone in your life as an indie filmmaker is crucial support, like your partner and your fr- and your friends and your family, and just everyone who like tells you that like they like what you're doing or they you know want you to keep doing it, even if they're like my mom who hates horror movies and is like, I will probably not watch most of your movies, but like I love that you're doing it. So. <laughs> It's, imp- it's like support is obviously like so crucial, but also Matt's a very talented artist in his own in his own right, and I do think yeah. that we'll work so together. He's got something
0: to something. say. He's got a viewpoint.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: you're listen. I watch. I watch a lot of films. You're you got some. You got some game. Got some directing game. Uh, in terms Thank of your you so tone, much. You got some in terms of your tone, your style, even the, even the way you described collaborating with people. So I have a feeling you got some. You got a feature film under your belt uh, sometime soon. So. Whatever we can one do can to help hope. You
1: out. What's that? I said one can only hope.
0: <laughs> well you do. You got it, got it going on. So basically keep keep the grind, keep at the grind, and uh whatever we could do to help, because you got some solid, you're you a solid creator and uh great communicator as well. So let's talk again when you make your next film.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a, an absolute treat. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and eight,